Also, they're gonna make it hard for us to hire a special prosecutor to put Hillary in jail. Then don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Scrap it. She didn't do anything. Scrapped. <laughs> Sir, being president is not going to be easy. But we'll get through it if we work hard together. Thank you, Mike. Oh, and Mike, you're gonna do everything, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, and Mike, one more thing. Live, Live from, from New York, York it's Saturday, Saturday Night! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 7 of Saturday Night Live with host Kristen Wiig and musical guest The XX. I'm John Murray and joining me this week is Steve Finn. Steve is the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR. And you can connect with us at SNLAfterParty.fm. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out and we really appreciate it. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen Wiig. Okay, so Reddit user Pretty in Pink has informed me that Donald Trump is tweeting about SNL yet again. Apparently, after watching parts of last night's Saturday Night Live, he has said that it is totally one-sided, a biased show, and not funny at all. And then he asks, should there be equal time for us? Do we care that SNL is still on Donald Trump's radar? And and what do you think of his sentiments here? I'm assuming he was getting that impression from the cold opening, since it was about him. Yep. And if he had waited to watch some more of the show, you know, they did kind of make fun of liberals uh, just as harshly later on in one of the shorts. Mm -hmm. You know, they do take jabs at both sides of this. So I don't think I agree with him fully here that it's a one-sided biased show completely. Yeah, no, I I think I uh, agree with you. Heading into the election, I think they were hitting Trump really hard and that that was just the sort of natural uh, effect of having a lot of Hillary supporters involved in the show's writing. But now that we've got the election behind us, he really is the only political figure in the hot seat right now. And rightly so. He's the president. SNL has never shied away from uh, making comment on the president's activity. So I only saw this tweet, you know, 10 minutes before we we started recording here, but I remember last night as I was watching the show the first time during weekend update, I was thinking, you know what? They came out with another run of exclusive Trump jokes right out of the gate, but this all feels like fair play now before the election. It felt like maybe there was a bit of an agenda there, but now it feels like, nope, this is what SNL is supposed to be doing, right? These are all like the appointments that he's been making over the last week and, and just the media piling on what they feel are, is just bad decision-making out of the gate. That is, you know, that is fair play. There is supposed to be political discourse and SNL is allowed to goof on it if they want. I, I wasn't pulled out of it last night the way that I had before the election. So I don't think there's a whole lot to what he's saying. I have a feeling that, <laughs> you know, maybe the show wouldn't welcome him back on to give himself equal time on the show. But if he ever did something good or, you know, if there was something better for them to be goofing on politically, I don't think they would just stay on Trump uh, at the expense of the better joke. I think SNL is just back to doing what SNL is supposed to be doing with this kind of a situation. Yeah, he's going to have to get used to it. You know, he's yeah. going to be uh, mercilessly 
made fun of absolutely yeah. for for as long as his presidency lasts. Yep. So it's 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 going to be part of his reality. So he's got to get used to it. Yeah, that is the nature of politics. If you can't stand the heat, you shouldn't be in the kitchen. Okay, so let's get into the show. Cold open. Alec Baldwin is back as Trump. There was a little bit of uh, a question mark as to whether he was going to continue with the role or whether the show was going to have to pivot and, and find a new Trump. But the word at this point is that he's staying on indefinitely casually. So there probably will be a, a move to transition Trump to another player at some point, but nothing set in stone yet. The setup for this cold open, pretty simple. Trump has won and he is in over his head. Did this work for you? Yeah, I think it worked for me. I enjoyed Kate's uh, performance as Kellyanne Conway. That's a great character she's carved out. It's good that she at least has that to play now that Hillary's kind of out of the picture. Right. Very, very sad loss for her to lose that from her repertoire. Although we might see Hillary once or twice for whatever reason. You don't, well, Kate won't be on the show in four years, but (laughs) Hillary will probably be back in four years. Yeah, fair enough. I wanted to mention Sudeikis coming on Mm -hmm. as Mitt Romney. Because I really thought it was a hilarious gag, and I was surprised that they went out on a limb like this, where they had a prolonged handshake right. that went on a good 10 seconds longer than I thought they were they would have done. Mm-hmm. It almost got into like Andy Kaufman messing with the audience <laughs> territory. Yeah, where people are squirming a little bit, wondering, okay, wait a minute, is this is something gone awry with the sketch, or is this the joke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was fun too. Um, it, it really hung on how charming Sudeikis is and his ability to just kind of like stare at Trump and have a little conversation with him without words. Mm-hmm. Even though this wasn't like a memorable cold open, it was really refreshing to see a political cold open that was just middle of the road, that it was just, okay, here's everything that's gone on this week. So let's just distill it down into a cold open and walk everyone through their paces and try and find a, a fun angle for Trump for this week. That felt like what SNL traditionally does with cold opens, which normally a lot of times they're maybe a little boring because they don't shoot higher. But after the election cycle, I was ready to see something that was kind of a return to form. So for me, it was nice just to see, yeah, this is just how SNL usually opens. I felt like they had found two really good takes on Trump and Mike Pence respectively, where they've gone from just kind of uh, hitting Trump over the head for being what they consider an unqualified candidate to now they're basically putting him in a situation of, of having to deal with winning. Like what does Trump look like when he's in over his head and when he has to face the reality of the next four years? I think that that's a a nice angle and that there's going to be a lot of comedy that week over week they're going to be able to find from that. Similar to what they did with Bush in 2000. I remember one sketch where literally like the world was burning around Bush (laughs) because of his ineptitude, something along those lines. So to see them kind of figure out how to move the comedy in a new direction, I feel is refreshing. And again, exactly what I would expect from SNL's kind of political voice and for Mike Pence, they're kind of positioning him as sort of like his his pit bull, like his go-to guy, the the closer, the finisher, the, you know. The one who does everything. Yeah, almost like Cheney, like the guy who gets things done while Trump is just kind of the 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 bumbling figurehead to kind of take the heat kind of a thing. So there, there's just, uh, there, there's the kernels of what hopefully over the coming months and years will develop into some really good cold opens. Yeah, and it is a return to form for sure. Yep. 
sometimes the familiar is just comfortable and satisfying. And that's kind of what I took away from this. Kristen Wiig, her monologue. She is singing about her deep knowledge of Thanksgiving with a little bit of help from, I think, pretty much the entire cast in costume. And we also get a walk-on from Steve Martin and Will Forte, who sing the song with her. There was a fair bit going on with this monologue. Do you think it held together? Like, Did you like the, uh, the concept they found for it and how it was executed? I enjoyed it. And, you know, a lot of people, they kind of groan when the music breaks out in a monologue. Right. A lot of people aren't so much fans of the, the musical monologue. Uh, I find it has its hits and misses. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be bad. It doesn't condemn it as some people seem to think it does. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed the, uh, the lead up to the song where she couldn't decide on the stool <laughs> or what instrument to play. Yeah. I was almost expecting that to be the entire monologue where she wouldn't even get to the song because she doesn't have quite the perfect conditions. Right. Now thinking about it, that that's not enough to, to drag out a monologue. Yeah, you can only drag that out so long. Yeah. Yeah. So we got into the song. See, as a Canadian, I, I'm not totally up on my, my Thanksgiving history, the American Thanksgiving anyway. So I, I really, I had to be told that she was making up all this stuff. <laughs> You you really thought that Thanksgiving originated in Egypt? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was you know I was suspicious <laughs> yeah. that maybe she was pulled my leg a little bit, but I didn't know if it was like an exaggeration of the truth or it was just complete falsehoods. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I I think it was all completely made up now. <laughs> uh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Now you are a like maritime province kind of a Canadian, so you're like a legit Canadian. I am probably the most American Canadian because I live right on the U S border. I live literally 30 seconds from Detroit. So I grew up with nothing but American TV. So for me, uh, this played because I've been just immersed and steeped in American culture my whole life. So there wasn't anything unfamiliar about what they were goofing on. My feeling on the monologue overall is that like you, when they show that they're moving into a song, my first thought is, okay, these rarely ever have the density of jokes required for me to really fully invest in them. But I felt that her song and her lead up, like you said, all the, all the little goofs of, you know, ukulele, no ukulele. There was enough jokes that just kept coming, you know, in succession throughout the song and they were able to find new beats like when Steve Martin comes on and and then uh, Will Forte believes that they're friends and Steve Martin is denying it off to the side. Like they, f- they were able to infuse a lot of different little comedy bits into it that I felt that the overall sort of like laugh per minute count was high enough to sustain the song. And oftentimes that isn't the case. It's usually one kind of gimmick for the song and then it plays out way too long. So I liked it. I thought this was a real win and it's always fun to get the cast up there participating. Melissa Villasenor was all smiles. So like for me, <laughs> everything about it felt charming and fun and appropriate for the Thanksgiving episode. You really like that, uh, that new girl, eh? It, well, what I like, I do like her. I think she's done good work on the show, but I'm living vicariously through her. That's what I'm taking away from every time I see her up on screen is that I immediately feel like I'm 
connecting with how much fun she's having on the show. It just seems like she's really, <laughs> really just having a blast in New York. Uh, yeah. So that, that's kind of, kind of my thing is I always want to see the featured players get their screen time and really take off and, and kind of launch on the show. And this season has been very satisfying for that so far, because even this episode tonight, Alex Moffat was all over the place. Uh, same with Mikey day. We were not worried about Mikey day. Cause we know that, you know, he's solid, but all three of them were, in the mix as much as you would hope that a featured player would be. So this is just adding to my enjoyment of the season so far. Yeah. I try not to get attached because the, <laughs> the last time I lived vicariously through a new cast member, it was Tim Robinson. Oh, poor Timmy. <laughs> At the very least, he he still works for the show unless he's, working on his comedy central show now. Yeah, no, I think he formally left at the beginning of the season because his show got picked up, but it was nice that the show wasn't like, yeah, you've got nothing to offer. They just said, you know, your writing's great, but I don't think you're gelling on screen, which I think was maybe fair. Oh, not, not that yeah, I liked him too. I don't think so. I, I liked him too. You, you liked him. Yeah. Uh, okay. I liked him and I liked Mike O'Brien too. I thought he was a great addition to the cast. Yes. That made me upset too. But the the problem is they're not like leading man stars. And that's what the show was really lacking at that time. You know, there's, there's enough nerdy guys in the cast, especially nerdy guys uh, who also are strong writers that if they can still keep them in the show in some way, like with Mike O'Brien doing his digital shorts and still writing, even though it was, you know, became casual after a while, whatever, because there was still an opportunity to pull good things from them. They didn't need to use the screen time up on, on people that maybe weren't going to be, you know, resonating, you know, star power, <laughs> which I think is why both of those guys kind of <laughs> got canned after one season. Yeah. Do you feel like the monologue needed Steve Martin and Will Forte? Like, do you think it was better for them coming on or should they have just stuck with the original concept? I don't know. I feel like that could be written and it could just be any old cast member coming out. Right. And the way it might work is that Steve Martin just might be hanging around and feels like coming on, coming on for a cameo and says, Hey Lauren, you got anything you can sure. put me in? It's like, yeah, you could just do this a uh, couple of lines in the monologue we got written. I think Steve Martin's stuff was written for Steve Martin, but I think the scenario that you lay out is correct that, you know, S Steve Martin's going to be kicking around that week. So they just basically say to whoever's tackling the monologue, you know, make sure there's something for Steve Martin. If we can come up with something funny, you know, we've got him in the house. We might as well get him up there. Uh, so it was probably something along those lines, but it had that classic Steve Martin, like walking up abruptly to interrupt the monologue, kind of a thing that the show always goes back to. So I think they wrote it intentionally thinking if we can come up with a good bit for Steve, this is, you know, this is what we want to do. So yeah, uh, convenient, easy. I feel like Will Forte, because he has that, that fun way of singing, that's he he kind of has a an upper register that is just weird sounding <laughs> that he sings in and because he's able to get a little bit bizarre and add that extra layer of trying to latch on to Steve Martin and invest in the fantasy of them being best buds just because there's just a whole nother little thing for you to think on a little bit. Like it just, it smartens up the monologue a little bit and goes off in a slightly different direction. Yeah. I felt like that was really fun. So because it was good material, I was glad to see him. If it had just been, we've got celebrities in the house, let's just bring them up here, but they don't do anything but kind of just like sing along. Then I would have been like, whatever this, this didn't help, but no. It was juicy stuff. Yeah. In this case, the material served it. So yay. That's why I felt like it was a win. I just felt like each level that they took it to had a little bit to, to offer to elevate the monologue overall. Let's talk about the first pre-tape of the night, the bubble. The setup here is all of the 
left-leaning, sort of liberally-minded, progressive types in the country who now feel that they have no country to call their own, they're going to relocate to the bubble, which is a hipster paradise of <laughs> Huffington Post, uh, mocha lattes, and electric cars. I thought uh, when when this sketch first came on, as soon as like the first handful of gags kind of rolled out, I said out loud, I said, oh, this, you know, they might as well all just go to Brooklyn. Like that, <laughs> it immediately clicked in my head that what they were putting up on screen was Brooklyn. This is everything I've ever known about the sensibility of Brooklyn and walking through Brooklyn and just the type of people that, that you meet there. This is, this is exactly what it feels like. So I kind of connected with what they were saying is there is this liberal enclave where everyone can retreat to if they want to. And uh, it it is funny that uh, I think it was pretty smart that they pegged Brooklyn as the quintessential liberal haven if you want a, a Trump-free zone for the next four years. Uh, so anyways, I, I liked kind of the things that they were stabbing at. I think the joke would probably be lost on a lot of people, especially if you have really passionate views one way or another. If you're a liberal, you're maybe going to feel like this is kind of picking on you when you've already been kicked around a lot the last few weeks. But for my money, it was just kind of a fun goof on what you already see in Brooklyn and and how people in Brooklyn are going to be even more kind of like in their own bubble, which they've already been in, you know, for so long. Yeah. Do we have anything to say about any performances or <laughs> yes. anyone who stood out in the, in the sketch? My favorite part was Mikey Day on his computer reading some joke online on some one of the few liberal websites that's kind of allowed into the bubble and he just has this kind of like tepid half chuckle you know like <laughs> humorous yeah i like that they talk about how it's like this inclusive place where you know everyone's welcome and then uh whatever a 500 square foot loft is like 1.2 million or something another like very true to brooklyn kind of a joke there was a lot of fun little moments. I don't think the sketch is really like one for the record books. I had fun with it because I did connect with a lot of what they were saying and what they were goofing on. And uh, yeah, for me, fun throwaway. Nothing, nothing really more to say about it. Totally. Okay. Let's talk secret word. Mindy Elise Grayson is back with Kristen Wiig being such a standout from her time on the show. Do you feel like you want to see her come back and reprise a lot of her characters, or do you want to see her being thrown into new stuff? I, I do like to see a reprisal in maybe one sketch. I don't want the whole episode to be a greatest hits album. Yeah, that's fair. The impression that I was getting just kind of looking at Twitter, kind of in the lead up to the episode was a lot of people were apprehensive that it was going to be a greatest hits. And so people were uber sensitive to that. I think it's interesting that they came out of the gate with a, Kristen Wiig staple character. So I don't know if the show had its finger on the pulse of kind of how people were maybe feeling about her coming back. I think if they were, maybe they would have switched things up a little bit and maybe given the, put the QVC sketch or something where there's, there's nothing people can attach to Kristen Wiig's time on the show. Uh, that said, I thought it was good. I think bringing it back was fun. I think unlike a lot of the sketches in the last few weeks where my criticism has been, it hasn't been enough time for it to really stew and have yeah. fresh jokes put into it with Kristen Wiig's characters. You know, it's not something you see twice a season or anything. So when they did bring it back, the the sketches themselves, it had been long enough that I felt it was fresh. Uh, if we'd seen Californians, maybe I'd feel a little differently, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this case, I was happy to see it. I think they wrote it for Bill Hader. 
I think, uh, you know, maybe he was supposed to reprise his role as the host, but, uh, for whatever reason, couldn't make it. I don't know, but it, it just, it felt like maybe there was a, a last minute switch up with Keenan taking on the, the hosting role. Well, they did have that voice recording from him. So if it was a last minute decision on his part to not be there or couldn't be there for whatever reason, they still were able to get that voice recording for it. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, that sounded like a legitimate phone voice recording. Like, I mean, they they can mimic that if they want, but it very well, and all speculation, but it very well could have been something along the lines of, hey guys, I'm not going to be able to make it. And then the writers are like, okay, what can we do to switch him out gracefully? And so they just come up with that little one liner of, okay, well, he's retired. So we'll have a little message, a little send off for him or whatever. Uh, I, it seems to me like that's the sort of thing they could pull together really quickly and just get him to do that remotely. I wonder if maybe that's how that came about because otherwise I wonder why they would call attention to it. Yeah. That's kind of why I'm wondering like, why bother having Bill Hader call in to do, you know, literally one joke. How does that make or break the sketch? It, it seems like they wouldn't do it unless they were trying to elegantly exit him out of the sketch for some reason. Yeah. And if you look at Keenan's entrance, it was a direct reference to Bill Hader. I remember in an interview, he said that he always starts his game show sketches, which he usually is the host of when he was a cast member. Right. He'd usually start those sketches by running in place Oh yeah. backstage and then continue that running motion as he runs out. Mm-hmm. You see, he always has a jog on the go when he's coming out. Yeah. A little bit of energy. Right, right, right. And Keenan did exactly that coming out, jogged just like him. And it seemed weird because Keenan wouldn't normally do that. <laughs> sure, yeah. But he was he was doing it to reference or to honor, I guess, Bill Hader's role. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I didn't pick up on it, but you're right. They were intentionally trying to connect with Hader's take on it. But this is not a deep sketch. This is an opportunity for some innuendo, uh, for a little bit of uh, stupidity and potty humor. Did you enjoy it for what it was? I thought it was pretty enjoyable. It's a it's a well-constructed character mm-hmm. that Kristen Wiig came up for this. And I can't really recall what it was like for the other side, if it was always a different actress that was also kind of outrageous. Yeah, actress or actor. That That's a usual staple of the sketch to have another it is. actor or actress on the other side. Okay, I couldn't remember. It is, not Cecily in particular, but they would have some other stereotypical 1960s era celebrity. Yeah, okay. I thought Cecily was great, by the way. She was, yeah. She um, obviously just as kind of a, a train wreck of a person, <laughs> uh, she she plays the part well, which is always kind of the critical factor for the celebrities on the show is that they have to just not be functional in any way. Right, yeah. Anderson Cooper 360 with late-breaking Trump news aplenty. The setup seems pretty simple. You know, you've got a bunch of pundits around a table. They're dissecting the news of the day. And each time a new breaking news story comes out, their response is literally word for word what it was for the previous late breaking news. Right. In your opinion, what was the the sketch trying to say? Is this a deep sketch or is it just literally look how inane the political conversation is on basic cable? Yeah, it's it's directly you know, firing shots at CNN, a lot of the talking heads in that network, they, they get a lot of flack for not really being knowledgeable enough <laughs> right. for their position. Yep. And, you know, they're, they're really simplifying it to the point of absurdity. Yeah. Each time they go around the circle again and the conversation's exactly the same, you realize just how insipid and shallow 
it all is that nobody is offering any legitimate ideas. It's just the left-leaning people are angry and the right-leaning person is apologetic and there's just nothing being added to the the discourse. So that is a smart message and fun to just have this absurd scenario to play that up in a in a fun and and not too like aggressive way. Like it's not it's not a painful sketch to watch no matter which side of the camp you're on it. It feels very true, so that that makes it funnier and less offensive. Right. Then for whatever reason there's a hiccup. Anderson Cooper goes off script, has a sincere thought. <laughs> and that's when the sketch reveals that these are all robots who are basically programmed to run through this inane banter. And the second one of them has a thought, the techs have to come in and shut the whole thing down and swap them out so that everyone gets back on script. Right. Now, this to me felt like it could have been very smart. Like, there's almost something very subversive about likening the the bobblehead talking heads on CNN to literal robots that are just programmed to spew their stupidity and that anything that upends that routine has to be shuffled out and replaced immediately. I thought that there was a, a pretty smart idea there. Uh, do you feel like they were digging that deep or was this literally, we need to get a plug in for Westworld, so let's make them all robots? What? Where did, Where were the writers really coming from? Uh, yeah, they used Westworld because it's, it's recognizable, but it wasn't just a cheap reference to a popular show. It boils them down to robots that repeat a few scripted lines, basically. So it's kind of smart to make that parallel, I think. Yeah. So you felt there was a smart idea in there as well. Like I wasn't just imposing more deep social commentary on this sketch than it deserved. No, no, it was there. Good. If that, if that's the case, then I feel it was a real win. Because I walked away from it saying, I feel like they made a very smart point about cable news. Yeah. And this is a really great sketch for cast members like Keenan to shine. Because Keenan can take a line and say it a hundred different ways. All of them unique, but also funny and appropriate. Mm-hmm. So he was he was the shining star in this sketch, I think. And I found myself looking forward to how he was going to say his lines the next time. Yeah. Each time they go around the table, the words become less distinct and it just becomes about like the emotion of what they're trying to convey. So at one point, Keenan just has one like indistinct kind of rambly (laughs) sound that he makes, but it's got the same incensed energy that it did before. So you realize that the words aren't even important. They're just trying to like rile people up for whatever their cause is. Yes. Yeah. You kind of get that sense. The fact that the words don't even matter at a certain point. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot you can dig for in this sketch if you want. And, And I think that sometimes is the mark of a great sketch. If the more you think about it and the more you bat it around, the more value you see in it or the more smart you see in it, I think that bodes well for it. So I I think, I think they really did good on this one. So we get another pre-tape this time. It's an ad for target, but target is basically telling us that it's there when we just can't deal with our family during Thanksgiving. It is our our respite, our go-to place where we can just decompress and have a moment without all of the stupidity that tends to happen when you put family and baggage and everything in the same room and force them to, <laughs> to, to play nice. So I think there's an immediate connection here. Like I think a lot of people can probably relate to what it's like to come home for the holidays and have to <laughs> have to kind of like put on a smile and, and be on the whole day. So I, I kind of got the goof and I thought it was very true to life and I felt that they found some good moments. Did, did you think this worked? Could you relate? Yeah, it's, I'm always fascinated by on-point observational comedy. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's it's one of those true to life things that I guess you have to be a, a genius comedy writer to know when you can put something out there and it will be recognizable by a large number of people. Yeah. So it's it's fascinating to me when they can do this kind of stuff and they do it a lot and they do it well. One of my one of my favorite things to to see on SNL. So this is a this is a, a total win. Yeah, yeah, smart. Uh, immediately something that kind of can be universally understood and digested, and all the jokes seemed pretty spot on. As they go on, obviously they keep heightening it to the point where it gets a little more absurd. Like um, an overzealous Target employee has gone out of her way to to leave a little alcoholic care package in <laughs> in the Play-Doh. Yeah, I wish that was a thing. <laughs> Yeah, that was just a nice little over the top touch that just kind of helped round out the sketch. Yeah, I thought it was a win. I I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, I just wanted to say it was I don't know if it's a good thing that they avoid the temptation or maybe they filmed this, you know, before Kristen Wiig came on to host. Mm -hmm. But uh, there was no appearance of the target lady. And, you know, she doesn't really have much of a place in the concept of this sketch. Right. But I could have seen them, uh, you know the very last shot of the sketch ever saying bye, thanks for coming or something just to make a quick little reference since they had Kristen Wiig around. Yeah. I think they were smart to avoid that though. Yeah. I, I think that is the the smarter thing to do. Tonally it wouldn't have fit and it just wasn't necessary because they're framing this as though it's an actual like commercial for target. Yeah. I'm willing to bet it was discussed. Could be. Yeah. And I have a feeling that even just from a production standpoint, uh, since this was a location thing, they probably said, okay, well, we can take two cast members and get them out on location at a target. But this is also midweek where Kristen Wiig's probably doing, who knows, you know, blocking or photography or whatever. Like getting her out of 30 Rock would have been more of a challenge than Cecily and 80. Right. So yeah, you get the practicality of not putting Kristen Wiig in it. But also I think it's a no brainer that you've got two completely different types of comedy, even though they both have target in the name, it doesn't mean that there's really any overlap that's going to serve the sketch. So obviously they were smart to not try and go down that path. Yeah, I think so. Okay. QVC auditions. Uh, I can't say this is like a total home run of a sketch, but it had a, a good sense of escalation. It wasn't predictable. Right. I didn't know where they were going to go <laughs> with it. So it was refreshing to have a sketch that could surprise you. Yeah. Not a recurring sketch or character. Real good, just original comedy writing. Yep. And, you know, Cecily killed it, as she always does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they, they got a good sense of a idle, you know, housewife who might be a little bored. Too much time on her hands to the point where, you know, she has aspirations of being on a shopping network. Sure. Yeah, and, and that lends some humor to the competitive nature of two housewives, you know, who are neighbors both after the same thing and kind of feel threatened by each other. It was definitely a fun concept. I just think the characters were a lot of fun. I like that Cecily seemed like she was on the verge of a breakdown, right? Like she, she could literally go either way. She's just so stressed out by the whole ordeal of trying to achieve her QVC dream that she might literally get homicidal um, with her toy gun. I thought that the sketch for me, it really crystallized my take on Kristen Wiig for the evening, which is she is just a force in a live sketch. There isn't anything that she did tonight where I felt like she brought anything less than a level of energy and focus and a take on the character that is just sharp and exactly on point and on tone. And just, she just nails everything that she does in a live sketch. It's true. 
She nails everything. The other fun thing that I took away from it was how you get a sense that the husbands are really kind of maybe a little beat down in their respective relationships. Like the second things get dramatic, they both just kind of like bolt, you know, they just quick to like skulk off and just like get as far away from their wives, respective chaos as they possibly can. <laughs> you know, the, 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 um, sort of like whimpering beaten puppy look that Bobby Moynihan is able to deliver. Like every time his wife calls cut and starts berating him or whatever, it just, it, it that, that was a, a fun little note. Yeah. I think part of making the sketch work, uh, relies on implying you know, there's an unhappy right. undertone to their marriage, to the right. family, yeah, which probably fuels their uh, ambition mm-hmm. to uh, be guest hosts on QVC. Yeah, you get that suburban discontent. Nobody's hard done by, but nobody's happy. <laughs> yeah, they they play that up. And then obviously as the story unfolds and you learn more about the nature of the husband's relationship and Cecily's past, it just, it, yeah, there was, there was a whole lot of dysfunctionality that they were able to just throw out there on the screen. And I was lapping it up. I thought it was really fun. Me too. Great. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the XX. I had never heard of these guys, but. Personally, I really enjoyed both of the songs. Well, I'm happy for you. Okay. I, I'm not going to dig too deep on it. I just, I got kind of a sort of a, like a, a new wavy kind of sense from some of what they were doing. I, I had no expectation going into it and I, I just enjoyed it for what it was. <laughs> this is my first experience with the XX and uh, I could appreciate the, the sound they've created. Mm-hmm. I feel like the workload for those three members is a little uneven. <laughs> Yeah, the the DJ skittering around in the back doing all the work, and then you've got one little, like, (laughs) nothing bass line. (laughs) Yeah, like the bass line is playing literally three notes, and this guy is sprinting back and forth to play cymbals and five different keyboards. And (laughs) this guy was breaking a sweat. Well, this other guy's like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. So I was kind of laughing at that. And I don't know, like, they weren't the best singers. They didn't seem to be technically, like, amazing performers. I don't disagree with you on, on a few of your points, like the, the female lead guitarist and the bassist out front seemed like they maybe had a lot less to bring to the performance than the DJ in the back. But the way I understand it from my, you know, 30 seconds on Wikipedia, the guy in the back is basically the core of the band. Um, he does most of the sort of like creative driving of the band. Okay. So maybe that's why you saw the disparity in what everyone's bringing. It almost seems like he pulled in the other people to fill the roles that he literally doesn't have enough fingers and toes to do. (laughs) Well, why did he pick the, I mean, they had very little stage presence I found and I figured, well, they just might be really great songwriters or something, but I don't know on stage, they seemed a little bit bland, but from his perspective, they're just instruments. (laughs) Right. Like yeah. in a, in a way, and I, uh, that's kind of a, that's, that's kind of a mean thing to say. I mean, they're talented in their own right and what they're doing, they may be doing specifically because that's the tone and the voice of the band and that's their presentation style. They could be excellent musicians in their own right. So I don't want to, I don't want to assume that I know anything about the guitarist or the bassist. I'm just thinking in this context, they're one piece of the sonic situation, but the guy in the back, I think is if, if we're going to try and liken anyone in the band to a front man, I think it is the DJ. So I think they're intentionally not trying to upstage him. I think they're simply bringing the parts of the music that he needs them to bring yeah. and he's crafting the magic. 
it's too bad that the symbol player got drunk for yes. the performance because that was just one more thing he had to worry back there yeah yeah he had a loaded plate <laughs> played the symbol oh gotta play my keyboard man what a busy guy i appreciate that he mounted a real crash up there like that's that's at least nice that he had a mallet and he was doing something that was a little more analog along with all of his synth yeah to me, there was enough going on that I don't really see that often in the kind of music that I typically engage with that it was fun. Okay. That's, that's good. We're sponsored this week by Firefan. Firefan is a fantastically fun and easy to use new mobile app for iPhone and Android that takes the idea of fantasy football to a whole new level. Instead of just drafting players, Firefan actually lets you make real-time predictions drive by drive as a live game unfolds. Like, for example, you could predict whether the next kickoff will be returned for a touchdown or not. Or will the next drive end in a punt or a turnover or a field goal? Rather than being distracted with individual player stats, Firefan puts you right in the middle of the game. And Firefan isn't just about football. You can also play along with world soccer, and they'll be adding basketball, baseball, hockey, rugby, golf, tennis, and even cricket in the coming months. Though there's still no official word yet on elephant polo. With Firefan, you can compete against your friends, sports heroes, and even celebrities. You can build a league and play the entire season. You make the calls, you predict the plays, the scores, the penalties, and so much more. And if that wasn't enough, Firefan even lets you compete for fantastic prizes like sports memorabilia, game tickets, and even cars. And the in-game chat and social media integration allows you to interact with your league and your opponents no matter where they're playing from. Firefan is officially launching this Thanksgiving, but you can get early access today by going to firefan.com and entering access code Haley. That's H-A-L-E-Y. Firefan is free, family-friendly, and the absolute best way to put you and your friends in the middle of all the action. Remember, to get early access to Firefan, go to firefan.com right now and use early access code Haley. That's H-A-L-E-Y. And our thanks to Firefan for sponsoring this episode of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. Okay, weekend update. Now, before the election, my big hang-up was weekend update was wall-to-wall Trump, and it just seemed like viciously beating at Trump, which many people would feel was perfectly warranted, and I don't necessarily disagree with what they were saying. It just it got fatiguing after a while, just how much Trump bashing was going on with weekend update. So now, we're a little bit removed from the election. Weekend update still comes out joking on Trump, but it seems like maybe there was a slightly different tone. Did you pick up on that? Like their opening salvo was wall to wall Trump, but did you feel it was as biting as before? Was it welcome or do you feel it was still kind of hard to get through? Not as biting. No, it's taking a more relaxed tone going back to the weekend update. We're, we're more used to, I think. Yeah. And one thing about how they were tackling it before was it seems like even when there wasn't a joke to be made, they would still opt for the Trump bashing joke, even when it just, it just wasn't good. Like, yeah, they were reaching at points for sure. Yeah. Remember there was one photograph of Trump in his office eating a taco bowl or something. And they just hit that for like two minutes, like zooming in. And, you know, you could just tell that it was just, let's find more stuff to bag on Trump for. I got the sense that this wasn't in the same league as that. Like this, like the cold open, this again, felt more like fair play. Like Trump is the political guy to be, uh, goofing on right now. And here's what we've got to goof on. And it just all felt very true to form for SNL. Yeah. When you're commenting on the, the blueprints in the background of a right, right. taco bowl photo. Yeah. You're really reaching there. It just seems like the ratio of 
topical to political has obviously been much more skewed towards political lately. So this felt a bit more balanced as well. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Overall, the, the, the Che and Jost aspects of weekend update, do you feel like their jokes were firing tonight? Were they on or did this, did this land for you or not? No, I thought it was pretty good. Delivery of jokes was on point. Che didn't seem to screw up any punchlines tonight yeah. or last night. So that was good. Yeah. And I think Che actually may have had the best of the anchors portion of weekend update. I think he may, may have had the best run with his, uh, likening the Trump presidency to when you, uh, win over the girl and get into the relationship. And then you realize, Oh my God, I want out, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I enjoyed the pursuit more than I enjoy the reality of, uh, <laughs> the per- brilliant joke. There's a part where Chase stops and he says like, and then, you know, your buddy calls and wants to go out or whatever. And you're like, no, she's got me building a cabinet, which is so perfect because it would be the boyfriend or significant other's role to like be assembling the Ikea furniture that you guys are buying to fill your joint apartment. So it works on the like literal cabinet level, but he's also been spending the week building his you know, his advisory cabinet. That joke wasn't lost on me. I thought that having that in the middle of it was just really smart. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about Pete Davidson. He does not think that Trump being president is funny at all. (laughs) No longer a laughing matter. And he also wants to make sure that Staten Island understands that for whatever hassles they've been giving him for bagging on Staten Island, he was right. (laughs) They voted Trump. And for that, they're going to get a Pete Davidson scolding. This was a very different appearance from Pete Davidson because it felt like he actually believed what he was saying and he came out swinging. The big thing that elevated it was it felt like this was the first time Pete Davidson has actually like bothered to learn his lines and end and really made sure that every joke was sharp and focused and really punchy. I felt like he was bringing it and I guess uh, you needed Trump to get his ire up for Pete Davidson to really like turn on. Uh, what he can really do with with his stand up material? Did you get a sense of that passion coming through this time? Yes, absolutely. You know, while it was you know joke filled, mm-hmm. the delivery was not usual. Pete, he's usually got a goofy little smirk on his face. Yeah, and he's having fun with the material. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like his his vibe, really. Yeah, this was more serious. You know, he was stating things more matter of fact, and he had something you know important to say. I think it was a really good win for him. Yeah. When you stack this one up next to his last few visits to the update desk up to now, it seems like he's been getting progressively shakier each time he gets to the desk. Like the, the material is a little less polished. His performance is a little less focused and there's a few jokes that just fall apart because of timing or just fumbling or whatever it is. It's never a a full home run from Pete Davidson. He's got funny ideas. He's charming. We like the character of the stoner slacker, Pete Davidson. And there's always enough in there for you to walk away saying, oh, this was fun. I'm glad we saw Pete Davidson. But none of them have been end to end really like solid forced to be reckoned with kind of weekend update contributions. Whereas like some of Leslie Jones have been a lot more solid end to end if you stack them up to Pete Davidson. But this one you put Pete Davidson in a situation where he has something to say and he's motivated to actually like craft it and make sure that he comes out swinging and he really just brings it. He can. So he just set the bar a lot higher for himself, which (laughs) might, uh, might not serve him well because now when he comes back with just some casual topical fun, you know, lazy 
comedy uh, next time at the desk, it's going to feel a little less vibrant because he showed what he can really do. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about Willie. Willie has stopped by to uh, share some of his childhood Thanksgiving memories. After the election, I think America could use a little blind optimism right now. <laughs> okay, yes. So it's it's appropriate. <laughs> uh, Willie's such a great character, and you can tell that Keenan really enjoys playing it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's color by numbers, just like pretty much all of the uh, Weekend Update characters. Right. But it's it's a great vehicle for, for Keenan's strengths. Sure. Yeah, it was fun. Not much else to say about uh, Willie. Uh, final thoughts on Weekend Update. Was this a win? Yeah. Yeah. It stacks up pretty well compared to uh, what we're getting these days. So I'm, I'm happy with this uh, outing. Yep. I agree. It had a bit more of a fun tone to it. Uh, the Trump stuff for me wasn't painful, which is really refreshing to really be able to just take in Weekend Update for what it's bringing and not feel like the reality of the political climate around uh, us and the show is making it less fun to hear the jokes. It's just nice to be able to have a little distance from that now. And I hope that that continues to be the case in the coming weeks. Uh, let's talk about parade balloons. <laughs> I'm not going to set it up. You talk about parade balloons. Cause this is one that has some technical merits. And I know that sometimes you like to zero in on that kind of stuff. Yeah. I like to talk about the boring stuff. This is that sketch that we see in the night where they, they rely on a technical gag for for the real meat of the sketch. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're using a large LED screen as a window, right? Which wasn't really obvious until you know we got giant cast members <laughs> and a giant Kristen Wiig. But it was it was really well done. There was some interactions involved that you know they had to be paying close attention, like when the heads were actually following the characters back and right. forth. Yeah, some pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the writing of the sketch, I think, could have been improved upon either eliminating Beck's bragging about his uh, apartment or making it more integral with the sketch, because it kind of just seemed contrived to me to have that okay, and, and not really have it go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my main criticism. Okay. Uh, I wasn't as put off by the Beck stuff. I feel like when you have a sketch like this where you know that it's kind of all hanging on a single goof. To take the effort to try and flesh out some of the secondary characters and weave in a little bit more characterization and just kind of find a few more jokes where maybe there wouldn't have been, uh, just to continue developing the characters. I find that when they make that effort, I usually appreciate it. In this case, the sketch itself, I don't know how you would have kind of gotten into it and established exactly what the premise was if you didn't have a little bit of that narrative or exposition coming from Beck at the beginning, like, you know, this is my sweet pad and I love to have people up for the balloons. Like he needed to be talking to sort of set the scene and establish everything. So they could have just had him walk through his lines earnestly and it would have been totally forgettable and we wouldn't have had anything to say about it. But by making him a little bit more arrogant and a little bit like, look how great I am and, you know, just a little bit more self-absorbed. I just felt like that was just a bit more characterization that was bonus. So I'm never going to fault it when they try to weave in a bit more than the sketch needs. That said, I mean, there's nothing about the sketch that hung on that. Like you said, what it really hangs on is the sight gag of the balloons uh, being like full size in the frame of the window. Now they have that LED screen at their disposal and they're getting really good at doing chroma key in real time. And they've got all the technical pieces now 
that they can put a sketch like this together. So it gives them a bit of room to be a little bit more adventurous with these kind of concepts and actually execute them in a live setting. Do you feel like the joke itself, that visual gag of the scary balloons sort of accosting them? Do you feel like that was a joke that was worth building a sketch around? Or do you feel like they were just trying to come up with an excuse to use their LED screen? I don't think they said, hey, we got this big ass screen. What can we do with it? <laughs> and then came up with this sketch. Okay. Yeah, it's it seems like, you know, they had the idea to do a Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade and someone had the bright idea of let's have cast members play the floats. Sure. Yeah. So that that I think that was the the process behind that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was good. And once I was over the the wow factor of it all, because like when I first saw Mikey Day show up as Woody, I'm like, whoa, you know, definitely unexpected mm-hmm. and kind of wowed me. But once I got used to it. Yeah, it was it was form over content, unfortunately. Okay, that this sketch fell victim to. Okay, I don't know why because it's not an it's not a terribly smart sketch, but I really dug it. <laughs> I just enjoyed the ride. I wasn't taking it for more than it was, which was just a fun little creepy beat there in the middle where you you see that the the balloons have now stopped and they're focusing in on the people and just like how how creepy and scary that would be in real life if something like that you know when uh bobby moynihan's creepy clown balloon floats up from the bottom like just full frame in the window (laughs) i i don't know i i think i've always had a little bit of a fear of clowns so when that moment hit i was all in i'm like okay you know that's they they had a fun premise here and now they're taking it to a level that's genuinely creeping me out and i'm i'm game i'm 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 here for the ride okay let's see where else you can take it and then you know the balloons follow them from side to side in the room so now it's obvious that yes these balloons are tuned in to these people like what what do these balloons want with these people there was just a lot of creepiness at play and i felt it was effective it it got me it it made me sit up it made me perk up and say that's kind of weird and you, (laughs) you just don't see a sketch like this on snl or tv in general so uh i felt it was worth it sure I guess Macy's doesn't have a dental plan yeah. <laughs> with, with them teeth on him. Ooh. Yeah, no, they did a great job because once you're, you're blown up to just where you see the face and nothing else and you get all that detail, it's, yeah, it's just unsettling. Very unsettling. I wouldn't want those balloons floating out my window. I would be genuinely creeped out. But yeah, not a deep sketch. I don't know if there's anything else worth dissecting here. So for, for me, it was a win just purely because clowns freak me the heck out. Clown for the win. Yeah. Okay. So whiskers are we thoughts. It's a sketch that I'm done with personally. And we were talking about Kate McKinnon's uh, recurring barfly character and how we were pretty much done with that. I think you agreed. Yeah. Sheila Sauvage. Yeah. Yeah. Now this sketch serves the exact same purpose as that Sheila Sauvage sketch. And it's even Kate McKinnon as the anchor character. Right. The dynamics are always the same. They always have, there's always suggestions that they're lovers (laughs) <laughs> not subtle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not subtle. It's a cookie cutter, paint by numbers, creepy basket guy type of sketch. Right. You know what? It's funny. Cause so often in hindsight, I think a lot of this, you know, whether we're warm on a recurring sketch or not, it probably just has to do with how warm we are on the episode overall. A lot of the time, because with Chappelle's episode last week, my big criticism was it came out so strong and I was so pumped on it. But then I felt like the live sketches continued to kind of go downhill till the very end of the show. Like the fall off was a little jarring. So by the time Sheila Sauvage shows up, 
I'm not cutting the show as much slack as maybe I would have on a stronger show. Whereas in this show, at this point in the show, I'm still really enthusiastic. And so I'm still kind of like perked up and just giddy about what I'm seeing. So coming into the sketch, even though it's a recurring character, and even though all the same criticisms as Sheila Sauvage should apply, like I should have the same take on this, I'm watching it and I'm eating it up. Now that you're saying that you were cold on it, it just makes me think, well, I think I was probably just having more fun with this show than I was in the back half of Chappelle's. And that's probably why I'm giving this more credit than maybe it's due. Finally, we come to our 10 to one sketch. And whereas we open the show with a Kristen Wiig recurring character, we're going to close the show with a Kristen Wiig recurring character as well. Book in that. Yeah. We get Aunt Sue who loves surprises. (laughs) And uh, this played out basically exactly the same way all the other ones did. Did you want to revisit it or do you feel like this was maybe a, a letdown for the the last opportunity of the night to utilize Kristen Wiig? This is, this is one of my favorite uh, of her recurring sketches okay, okay. or recurring characters, I should say. So I was happy to see this one. The reason I love this character though, is uh, if, if this person existed in real life, they probably <laughs> wouldn't live very long <laughs> to put yourself through that much stress over Trivial things must be taxing on your physiology. I like the way it makes me feel. It, it, the anxiety is contagious. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely susceptible for it, but it, it definitely gives me a, a strong reaction. So I think that's why I like this character so much. Yeah, I liked it too. I was expecting when this sketch started and I'm like, okay, we're going back to a, a Kristen Wiig staple. I was expecting to feel a little disappointed by it, but I think this is just another way of underscoring how strong a sketch performer Kristen Wiig is. My take on the character is I'm just thinking of like, uh, like a middle-aged woman who just doesn't have a lot of excitement in her life. So when she gets the opportunity to be included in something that is exciting and covert and she's on the inside track because she has so little excitement in her life, that little tiny bit of zest is just an insanely overwhelming experience for and i just that that little kernel to me is so funny to think about like that someone would get this worked up over like just a lame little surprise moment that everyone else can hold it together because they're normal people but you just you need this you need it so bad to just feel alive just to have a little bit (laughs) of something to cling on to 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 just feel like yes i'm part of something big and fun and it just it means so much more to you than it does to anyone else that is sketch comedy at its best like that's where the format of a sketch where you just take a little tiny notion or a little idiosyncrasy or just something about human nature and you just play it up to absurdity where everyone can relate, but you'll never see a character that over the top, but you get what's motivating the character. Yeah. Yeah. To me, there's a real win there. All right. So moment of the week. My favorite was the prolonged silence (laughs) during the handshake between Mitt Romney and Donald Trump. You're right. It was a good moment because it's unexpected and they did hold it just long enough for you to start questioning what they're doing. Like what's the interchange they're actually having before they explain it and pay it off. So it does, it is one of those things where you do perk up and it's just a little bit more unique than what you typically get from just like a run through of the week's political happenings. Yeah. That was a nice little elevated moment in the cold open. My moment of the night, Bobby Moynihan floating full frame into the uh, balloon sketch teeth and all. Yeah. The other two balloons they established, right? They floated by. And before you realize there's anything weird about the balloons, like before they turn back and start focusing in on the people, you already know that those two balloons exist. 
So you kind of feel like that's all the players in the sketch have been established. But then out of nowhere, Bobby Moynihan, who is just jarring to look at as a clown with the teeth and everything, him coming full frame and then it becoming obvious that there's a bit of menace in this sketch. That played well for me. I had a lot of fun with that moment. So I'm going to give it to that. Best overall sketch. I think the 10 to 1 sketch. Aunt Sue trying to keep a secret. Okay. That was probably my favorite sketch just because Kristen's performance uh, was so great. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say that's the best sketch of the night for sure. Yeah. She jumps into every role. There's a reason why she's considered one of the SNL greats and it's nice to see it on display where it doesn't take much for her to ramp up and really just not even, she wasn't even going toe to toe with the cast. It's like every sketch she was in, she was almost schooling the rest of the cast. It kind of feels like. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, uh, I can totally respect that. I'm giving it to Anderson Cooper 360. I think that likening the CNN talking heads to robots who have nothing unique or insightful to add to a conversation, but they're just trying to churn out TV. Yeah. I think was really smart. And for me, it kind of, it made a point. It made me think, yeah, you know what? There's some truth to what they're, what they're saying with this sketch. So I just think there was, there was some depth and there was a little bit of meat to that. And uh, I had fun with it. I liked where it went and I liked how quick it got in and out. So I think that that was a win end to end for a sketch. Totes McGrose. Okay. Broats. <laughs> MVP. The obvious choice would probably be Kristen Wiig. Because mm-hmm. like you said, she's pretty much schooled everyone she was on screen with. Right. Now I'm not giving it to Kristen. I'm giving it to the one person she didn't seem to intimidate. Okay. The one she didn't school out of all the uh, cast members, and that's Cecily Strong. Okay. You know, she she had a lot of range to show. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't overly intimidated by the amazing aura of Kristen Wiig. Yep. And uh, this is a, definitely a good example of, of what she brings to the table. So I, I happily bequeath my MVP ribbon. May I pin it upon her her chest. I almost said beautiful chest, but <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't say that. Okay. Well, uh, all right. I'll have to <laughs> edit around that. I don't know. Maybe I'll leave it in. <laughs> I agree with you wholeheartedly on this. I feel like she is the other like headliner of the night in a lot of ways. I was a little torn because I think the right thing to do is to give it to Kristen Wiig. And then I thought if you're not going to give it to Kristen Wiig, the right thing to do is to give it to Cecily Strong. And then I thought, well, okay, if Steve gives it to either Kristen Wiig or Cecily Strong, then I'm going to give it to the person that I want to give it to, even though I know it's not technically the right thing to do. I'm giving it to Bobby Moynihan. I think that Bobby Moynihan tonight, he did what he's been doing a lot this season, which is just being the dope in the background that's bearing the brunt of everyone else's stupidity, except for the clown sketch where he was just like the incarnation of my nightmares. Like he's the husband in the QVC sketch and you just get the sense that he's just been beaten down by these, you know, aggressively ambitious women. You you see a little bit of depth just in the way he can just carry himself like a little, little more morose or whatever. Like there's just something good about what he brought in that sketch. And then basically every other sketch of the night, there he is not stealing the scene, not trying to do anything to, upend the sketch or give himself more of a presence than he deserves. He's just gracefully serving his role in each sketch and bringing a little bit of just something special to the, the limited amount of opportunity that he had 
to create characters. And I just thought that, you know, he, he walks that line. Well, he's not showing anyone up, but he's playing great support. And tonight he was a great support in pretty much every sketch. Like a, like a participation medal or something. <laughs> well, just, a, just like a, it's, you don't always give it to the quarterback, you know, some, sometimes it's just the blocker who just did a good job or whatever. Like there's just, there's, there's superstars and Bobby Moynihan. There's some episodes where he is a superstar. Like it's just all about him. You know, it's riblet and it's, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but tonight it was just, can you serve the sketch in a more muted and background capacity and just do it the way it's supposed to be done without it being about you or your ego or anything at all. And he does that. Yeah, he does that. He's just, just a good supporting player, a good utility player. Just, he just knows when to shine and when to let someone else shine. And that was great. He's trying to make the sketch as good as it can be. Yeah. Uh, he's not trying to overshadow the sketch to serve himself basically. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, a good trait to have. Yeah. He's made it on the show. Like he's, he's now one of the like elder statesman cast members too. He's, He's got nothing to prove. And I think at this point in his tenure, he just knows like, just do what's right. What is the best thing I can bring to this sketch that is going to be best overall and not necessarily about me. And that's what you need sometimes if someone's going to play a utility role. Yeah. And I respect it. I respect it when I see it. Cause sometimes people want to chew up the scenery or they're in the background laughing or they're just, there's some people that just, <laughs> I think of Leslie Jones tonight. She had some utility roles like in the aunt Sue sketch. Every time she's in frame, you can see she's on the verge of cracking and, you know, she's a little fidgety. There's not a lot of uh, refinement to what she's able to bring. But Bobby Moynihan, can you point to anything that he didn't do just flawlessly for what he was supposed to do? I can't. Yeah. Yeah. On a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? You know what? I pressed record on my end here thinking that I was going to give it a weak rating. Okay. And you've pointed out a lot of strengths that I can't help but agree with. Okay. I'm going to give it a typical. Yep. I can respect that. I was going to ask you to talk me out of giving it a week <laughs> and, and to, you know, talk me into giving it a typical, but I feel like you've done that already. Excellent. Good for you. Well, okay then. The funny thing is I was coming into this thinking I wanted someone to come with a little bit more measured perspective and maybe talk me down from a great. Cause I feel like we've been handing out too many greats. <laughs> and so, whereas I may have talked you up from a week, I feel like you talked me down from a great. My feeling at the end of this episode was the fair assessment is this is a typical episode. Yes. There have been a lot of episodes this season where there's a lot of really great moments and then a lot of like crash and burn moments. So you've got this pendulum swinging, but the net result of the show, I still feel is middle of the road because you can't just hang your hat on one or two fantastic moments and then the rest of it be really awkward. Whereas this show, I didn't feel it was awkward at all. I think Kristen Wiig grounds the show and gives it a confidence and an enthusiasm where everybody is able to make the best of the material. And so I feel like we got that tonight where we had a very even show end to end where there was no like black jeopardy sketch, like no, like amazing, like standout culturally defining moment, but there wasn't anything I can point to in the show that just didn't work plain and simple. I just really fell apart. So this is just right down the middle, like, right. Yeah. Nothing bad about it. Solid, good show. So that to me equals typical, a typical episode of SNL is a just good middle of the road, even keeled show. Yeah. And, and you're right. A typical episode is means it's generally good. Yeah. It's it's important to, to make that point clear, I think. Okay. Uh, with that said, let's call it a cast. 
Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at Transparency CHMR. And thank you also to this week's sponsor, Firefan. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon.com or Amazon.ca affiliate link found at snlafterparty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our expenses and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in two weeks when SNL returns with host Emma Stone and musical guest Sean Mendes. This has been episode number seven of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. home. I, I can't tell you how much this means to me. Please stand with Standing Rock. Um, have a great night. Thank you so much. I love everybody here. Mindy, are you ready? Yes, yes, sir. Just let me do my vocal warm-up. Let's see. Uh, Tanya told the teacher that the preacher didn't touch her. Uh, the preacher told the teacher that he simply couldn't reach her. Let's go. Oh. Oh.